If you have your Bibles, hold your Bibles above your head, bear witness of God's Word. Amen. You may be seated, please. I would like to spend some time for the next several weeks in one of the most, what I think, uh, powerful and informative chapters in the Bible. You might be surprised, but this chapter I'm speaking about is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's not a, a chapter we usually hang that on, but for me in my life, it, it answers so many questions. And I felt led to, to move this way in being able to take 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I wouldn't say that it's a study on 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I, I just happened to, to realize, well, there are so many sermons in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Why don't we just try to do as many as we can in this same chapter? If God's making this kind of point, and you can familiarize yourself with a part of His Word, and I've, I've been in it uh, so many times, you know, you commit it to memory, you know this chapter is so powerful, but it addresses so many different things that we have questions about. And so, to me, uh, it's right up there with Romans 8. So, if you would please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and the first subject that we're going to study uh, in this study in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is what the Lord tells us about overcoming the groanings in this life. And so, if you're there and you have your place, say, I have it. Amen. Let's read together. Tonight, I'm just going to read through verses 10. The Bible says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from, a, from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we, what we would, but be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. To me, this is a, a powerful passage of Scripture. And it does unlock a lot of mysteries that we may have. When we read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we see that Paul was speaking to the church at Corinth about the temporary nature of this life. If you read the last verse that we read in verse 10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done, listen, in his body. So what I want you to know is that Paul's going to speak here about this body that we live in, and he's going to speak about, at a later time, the soul that's in us. And very few times do we really think about that we are made up of two parts. But he addresses this in here. 
But the part that we struggle with is, is our body. It's the part that you see. It's the part that acts out. It's that physical part of us. And Paul said here in verse 1, For we know that if this earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So in explaining this first verse, he begins to explain that this body is a tabernacle. And you've heard me use this before, but I, I think it's great imagery. And I think, you know, God has a way of showing us these things. He calls the body a tabernacle, which we would call a tent. It's a temporary dwelling. And some of your, your Bibles may say tent. But when Paul categorizes the body as a tent, he is describing the temporary nature of the body. A tent is not something that we look as a as a long-standing structure. We look at it as a temporary structure. And when I, I use this scripture in a funeral service, uh, there's always a tent, a funeral tent that we can point to. The tent is put up before the funeral starts. It's taken down a day or so after the funeral is over. It's temporary. When you go camping, you camp in a tent. You don't build a house to camp in, or it would be called your, your home. You camp in a tent because you're only going to be there for a couple of days, right? So we're all on the same page. That tent can be put up quickly. It can be taken down quickly. It has no long-standing nature. It is temporary. Then why is it if God so earnestly categorizes our body as a tent, why do we think it is this structure that is going to stand the test of time and be here forever? We get so upset when we think that our tent has an expiration date, don't we? We really live with this mindset that, that actually convinces us that at any given time, even when we hit a, a ripe old age, that, wow, it's too soon. The body is temporary. And God wants us to know it's temporary. Why? It's the way our mind works. If you don't consider that your body is temporary, then you will live like you think it's going to last forever. And so God wants us to know you have an expiration date on the time that you live. You say, oh, that brings us down. It brings us down because we're trying to believe something that, that we've never seen happen. We don't know anybody that's continued to live in this tent. And if we know that we have a short time, you know, anytime we know that we have a short time, we get to it, don't we? You do what you need to do when you know that you have a short time to do it. You prioritize things when you know that time is of the essence, don't you? And that's what he's trying to tell us. For we know that if this earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, if it went away. Now, hold on. There's hope in this verse. Don't get sad because we're finding out it's temporary. For we know that if this earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, if it went away, which it's going to. Listen, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So, when the body is dissolved, that's not all. 
He's speaking to believers here. We have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so the only downfall with this is when we think about this, then our mind shifts another way. It says, okay, listen, I know that one day we will have a body that, uh, that's not going to be like this body, but that's one day. What I'm concerned with is right now. You know, we have a hard time looking at heaven, don't we? Because it is to come. We tend to think about what's right in front of us. I know one day my body's not going to hurt, but it's hurting right now. I know one day my heart's not going to be sad, but it's sad right now. And so sometimes we dismiss the promise because we're living in the tent and we're focusing on the tent. Right now, my tent's got a couple of holes in it. Right now, my tent is shaking because there's a storm and the tent doesn't feel good. And we, we forget the promise, but he gives us hope in this. And in verses two through four. This is where we get the message. In verses 2 through 4, Paul says, For in this we groan. In this we groan. What he's basically saying is, in this interim here, meanwhile, while we're living in this tent, we what? Say it again with me. So while we're living in this temporary life, in this temporary world, in this temporary body, we groan. Well, as believers, and this is only something that a believer could say, we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with that which is from above. So we groan in this life wanting so badly to be in that life which is up above. Speaking of our eternal life in heaven. Verse 3. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle, this tent, do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Oh, wouldn't it be great not to have to die? That mortality would be swallowed up of life. Well, we die because of the curse of sin. There was a curse of sin that that was put upon mankind. And because of that curse of sin, our body is not going to last before that. Uh, then man did not have an expiration date. He was going to be in fellowship with God. But when you go back to the book of Genesis, we see that you know, man has an expiration date. And why do we die? The curse of sin? Is it Adam and Eve? No. Well, the curse of sin is on us too. We sin. Anybody here never sinned? No, not tonight. Right? Yeah. Just one back there, right? Okay. No, just kidding. <laughs> As believers, we groan. And when I got on this word, I've said it before, I've preached it before, but when I got on it, I couldn't think of, of anything else. It just permeated my mind. And so I thought, groaning, huh? And as believers, we groan because of troubles in this life. But we accept and believe that once we have this body, that we're going to have and we're in heaven, we won't have any more sorrows. We, we won't have any more groaning. And so that's the hope that we live with. We sang tonight this song, When We All Get to Heaven. And man, I liked the way we sung it, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, it was zippy. And I like singing the songs zippy. 
And it talked about when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it will be. And then I got to bouncing, thinking, man, when we get to heaven, you know, we're not going to have the, the sorrows, the tears, the crying, uh, the pain. We're not going to have that. And then, you know, um, I thought, hey, I'm all excited about it, but, you know, I'm not really signing up to go tonight. Who wants to be first? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Man, we're going to have it. We're going to have it. But if you heard tonight that it might be right around the corner in hours, would you still be <laughs> jumping and singing? You get what I mean? So what's the disconnect? And see, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul's embracing that. He says, for in this tabernacle, we do groan. Why in the world would we want to stay in a place where we groan when we go to a place where we don't groan? What is wrong with us? Why do we groan? We groan because of physical pain. That's one. I thought about groaning. We groan because of emotional pain. We groan because of disappointments. We groan because of heartaches. We groan because of the tribulation and troubles that we go through in this life, in this physical body. I want you to think about a groan here because I want to personify it tonight. Think about a groan. Think about something that might make you groan. And that's what I did. You know, there's been times when, you know, there might be that little hitch in your back. And you get up and try to move and, <clears throat> uh, right? And then there's those times when heartache or trouble comes and it's more a deep, solemn groan, you know, more like a, uh, think about what makes you groan. I think that groaning is that sound that your body puts out when it's in a desperation, right? Mm. And Paul hit it on the head. For in this life we groan. And I think about how I should be looking. But sometimes I keep groaning, right? But I don't think I'm by myself. I want you to groan for me. Let me hear everybody groan. Oh, some of you are better at that. I've heard you before. <laughs> okay? Yeah, I've asked you how you are, and I've heard your groans, right? So let me hear you groan. That's all you have, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. About those, people, about those people around you that are close to you, they've heard you groan, right? I do most of my groaning when I'm by myself. You know, it's just that, that situation or trouble that happens. And I just find myself sometimes groaning out loud, but, you know, sometimes you, you just think about the, the trouble and it's on you and when it's going to leave, but you're not looking past it. Right? You've been there? I remember, you know, growing up, we had only a couple of channels that we could watch. That's not been so long ago, so don't put me way back, but I'm just saying, y'all remember when we had a couple of channels to watch, and one of the things that you, that you were um, 
don't want to say had to watch, but it was one of the only things that was on on a Saturday evening was Hee Haw, right? Y'all remember Hee Haw? They had a little skit on there that was like doom, despair, and agony on me, right? <laughs> you remember that? Y'all don't remember that? Yes. And they took times, they took turns groaning. They took turns groaning. Doom, despair, and agony on me, right? And then there would be that groan. And I think sometimes as Christians, we get in that doom, despair, and agony on me, groaning, but understand, it is hard to let your light shine when you're groaning. Now, here's the, the thing. The Bible doesn't tell you that you're not going to groan. It tells you you are going to groan. So, how can you, how can you groan and let your light shine at the same time? Well, I want you to understand that we're given scripture that, let us, that lets us see. And I can't think of a more appropriate song that we could have started with tonight. That's the way God works it out. I know what she was going to pick, but talking about when we all get to heaven. And what a great place to look about being in heaven than, than the book of Revelation. You know, Jesus told us, even when he was here, you know, if you went back to Matthew 5, Jesus said in verse 4, Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So he said, hey, even when you're groaning, I'm going to comfort you, right? But Revelation chapter 21, you know what we see a picture of? Go ahead and turn. Revelation chapter 21, and I'll set the scene for you. What we see a picture of is, is in the future. What has happened is the church has been raptured. The believers have been taken. Jesus has appeared and called the believers out of this world. For seven years, while the believers are in heaven, and that's Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5, while they're around the throne... While that's going on, there's a lot going on in this world. This world's becoming more wicked and wicked, and they call it the Great Tribulation Period. It's a seven-year tribulation period. While that's going on, the church is in heaven, but then after that seven years is over, Jesus Christ returns to this earth, and he sets up his kingdom on this earth, and all those believers that were here that went through the Great Tribulation Period, they're going to be with him, but everybody that wasn't, well, they're destroyed. For a thousand years, Jesus sets his kingdom up here on this earth, and he rules from his throne in Jerusalem. And as he rules for a thousand years, the devil is chained in that bottomless pit. No one is tempted to sin. So after a thousand years, the Bible tells us the devil is loosed from that pit, and he goes out to deceive Mankind, from Gog to Magog, meaning the four corners or the corners of the earth, which means, man, the world populated during that thousand years. You know that mankind, once they begin to be tempted, they rise up against Jesus on his throne, and you just can't win against Jesus. He is the king, right? And so when they rise up against Jesus, then all mankind is put down that rises up against Jesus, and then there's this great event called the judgment. You see, at the end of chapter 20, you hear about the white throne judgment. There's a judgment for believers, there's a judgment for unbelievers, and that judgment for believers, unbelievers, is called the white throne judgment. 
And if your name is not found written in that Lamb's book of life, the Bible says that you're cast into the lake of fire. The devil's already there by this point in Scripture, and the Antichrist and the false prophet are already there. But all believers who have been in what we call hell now are judged, their soul are judged, and then they are cast eternally into the lake of fire. Why? Because God is unjust? No, because God is just. He gave everyone an opportunity to come to Him, to believe in Him, and accept His salvation. But those that didn't are cast into there. And the Bible begins in Revelation chapter 21 with this beautiful, beautiful passage that lets us see into the future. You see, everything started in Genesis 1 that we read about. And we see how God wanted fellowship with man. We see how sin came into the world. We watched through the scriptures man turn his back on God. We watched man reject God. And then we watched this world that was cursed with sin get all the way to the point of the end of chapter 20 where the white throne judgment happened. And then God has completely at this point put all believers in one place with him, all unbelievers in a place separated from him, which we call hell. And in chapter 21, listen to what he says, Revelation 21. It's John writing here, John the Revelator, John that, that wrote the book of First John, or John, First John, Second John, Third John, John that wrote this book, he said, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Listen, the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepares a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Now I want you to know, if you go back to the Old Testament, God has always wanted to be with us and have us be with him. But even in the Old Testament, do you realize that the closest they could come with the presence of God was the Ark of the Covenant, which had to stand in the midst of the place to be worshipped. And only one person could go into that to see that Ark and that presence and represent. And that was just representing the presence of God. Do you realize what we just read? John said that we will dwell in the presence of God. And it says, and... And God himself shall be with them and be their God. That's when God is with man and man is with God. How awesome is that? Now listen to this next verse. Verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. and There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. Well, I want to tell you something. This verse just strikes a chord with me. You know, I've had my own pain and I've had my own sorrow and I've had my own heartache and I've experienced um, loved ones that have passed away. You have too. But I don't think I could have ever told you this years ago because I didn't realize it. I told you before, I really didn't even know how to come in and fill this role that the Lord had called me to. But I've realized something in these past years. When you hurt with other people that you care for and you can't fix it, you watch them hurt and you watch them hurt, it just begins to wear on you. When 
It is heartache and trouble and pain and despair and death. And the next week, it's heartache and pain and trouble and despair and death. And the people that were going through this a year ago, they've gotten themselves back into a good place, but there's a, a new group of people that are going through it now. What happens is if you've stayed in it from the group then all the way to the group now and the group that's going to go through it, then this verse means a whole lot. You know what that means? That means, hey, glory to God. Glory to God. That means that not only are you not going through it, the people that you love are not going through it. It's not there. Listen to it again. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death sorrow, crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. We should be just shouting the place down. That's a promise. But you know what? We're living in a groaning and, and upset that we might leave the groaning. Does that make sense to you, Jim? Jim's told me how many times, man, I'm ready to go, Right? God's promised us a time where no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. Now, there might be a place in your heart that might be callous and says somebody else is going through it. But when it comes to your house, there's not a really an easy getting away from it. What do you do at that point? The only thing you can do, you know what you do? You groan. And that's part of what comes with this. Verse 5, look at this picture. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, this is John speaking, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst a fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God. Listen, and he shall be my son. And that's in context, him saying, he shall be my child. So women, that applies to you. God in heaven that made you, that made everything, is saying there will be a day when he will be with us and we will be with him. That we will overcome this. He that overcometh, listen, he that overcometh shall inherit all things. You know, this whole passage here, verse 1 through 7, speaks about our life with God after this life is over. The same thing Paul was speaking about. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, listen, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this life we do groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with that which is from above. Are we earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with that which is from above? Are we just happy to be in the groaning? I wonder sometimes if God knows that I'm so happy to be in the groaning that I'm not focusing on what he's got that sometimes he might look at me as his child and say, if you like the groaning so much, have some more. Why? Because it's our lack of faith that keeps us from looking past the groaning. 
And that's what he's going to address here. And God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes, and there shall be, and I love it, no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former has passed away. This is what God promises us in his word. We're going to have an eternal life in the presence of God as one of his children, and we will not groan anymore. And so when you look at, at these things, which are uh, basically the death, the sorrow, the, the pain, the crying. You can put all those in their category called groaning. And what he's promised us as his children is that we will not groan anymore. But in order to not groan anymore, we have to overcome this present life that we live in and this present body. There's our struggle overcoming. But I take it of verse 7 of Revelation 21 that said, he that overcometh shall inherit all things. What do you mean by he that overcometh shall inherit all things? He means he that overcomes shall inherit all these things just mentioned, which is what? That, that fellowship with God, being with God, God is with me, I'm with God. I'm going to experience a, a place with, that has no, no death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. If I want to inherit all these things, basically I'm, I'm inheriting a life and a body that's never going to groan anymore, if you wanted to sum it up. How does someone overcome? Because if I overcome, then I inherit. How does someone overcome the groanings of this present life? Well, what we have to do is in this life exercise exercise saving faith in Jesus Christ. And then after we exercise a saving or a believing faith in Jesus Christ, we have to keep exercising that faith to overcome. You see, when I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, I overcame. But I can tell you one thing. There have been times since then that I have not lived like I've overcame. Right? What happened? Well, that saving faith helped me overcome, but I needed a faith that helped me overcome the daily things in order for me to look forward to it. Well, what do I need to do? Well, the first thing that anybody has to do to overcome is to believe in who God is. Just as simple as this, believe in who God is. If you can't believe in who God is, you will not, never overcome this earth. You will never enjoy Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Matter of fact, you're going to be nestled somewhere in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. When the dead, small and great, stood before God, the books were opened. Another book was opened, the book of life. The dead were judged, and those things that were written in the book. Every man was judged according to his works. That means... You're saving faith. If you don't believe in who God is, number one, then you'll never appear in Revelation 21, 1 through 7. What do you mean believe in who God is? That he is the one and only true living God that created us and everything else that ever was created. We have to believe that he is true, he is real, he is holy, and that he wants us to come to him and that he's made a way for us to come to him. Will you understand everything about God? Absolutely not. If you could, then you would claim you were God. 
But his mind is above our mind. His ways are above our ways. You have to believe and accept him. It takes a saving faith to believe he is God. And that this is his written word where he revealed himself to us. You also have to believe in who Jesus is. Jesus is our only way that we can come to God. You have to believe that Jesus is real. You have to believe that Jesus came from God to live his life on this earth as a human being. And you have to believe that he never sinned one sin while he lived his life on this earth. Why is that important? Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. It means that the only person that could sacrifice their life for you and me to pay for my sins is somebody that never sinned. He is the Paschal Lamb. He is the Lamb of God. He is the only perfect Lamb without blemish and without spot of sin. You have to believe in who God is and you have to believe in who Jesus is. Later on in this fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians, we will learn that God was intentional in verse 21 when he says, For he hath made him, he hath made Jesus, he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Man, that's a powerful chapter, and I just gave you the last verse of it. We won't be there for a little while. After we believe in who God is and believe in who Jesus is, you say, well, then, then we can overcome. No. The Bible says even in the book of James that even the devils believe in who God is. They know who he is. You see, what we have to do is not just believe in who God is and believe in who Jesus is and believe in Jesus' sacrifice. We have to ask for that sacrifice. You see, there has to be something on our end. You see, Jesus supplied all the works. What we have to supply is one thing, faith and belief. You see, in admitting who we are, a sinner, then we have to ask for forgiveness or else we're just acknowledging who God is and who Jesus is and saying, well, good. We have to ask. You see, this asking, and I've given you the scripture before, but I don't think any scripture is any more clear than Romans 10, 9, and 10 that says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. But he's saying more than just verbally ask. He says, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So he wants us to verbally confess. He wants to hear us say it. And then he's going to check our words against our heart. Only God can see our heart. We can fake it to anybody else, but God can see our heart. It's not that my parents decided that I was going to go to heaven and said something for me. It's not that I learned enough in a class and got a certificate. You hear me saying it all the time because that's part of my past. It's that I asked. But I didn't ask until I believed. If I didn't believe, I would have never asked. We have to ask for it. And in that asking, there has to be repentance. It's not just me saying, God, I believe in Jesus Christ and I would like him to forgive me of the sin that I, can, that I am uh, intending to keep committing the rest of the day and tomorrow. 
I'm not asking him to forgive me of sin that I intend to continue to, co to commit day after day. There's a repentant spirit. I have to be sorry for my sin that separates me from God. That's repentance. Everybody on the same page with this doctrine that I'm preaching tonight? That's what it takes. You say, well, I've done that. You realize something? You can overcome. If you've got saving faith, that's the faith that lets you overcome. If we confess or admit that we've sinned and ask for that forgiveness, when we do these things that we are using the gift of love that God's given us, which is salvation through Jesus Christ, and understand this is how we overcome the groanings of life. You say, well, I've got an issue. I've done that. And I still have groanings. You only have groanings in your tent. All your groanings are temporary. We're just acting like they're going to last forever. Aren't we? We're going through life acting like these groanings are going to last forever. Anybody guilty? Amen. And man, I get kicking my can down the road. I can tell you different times in my life. You know, I told you I was stuck on that phrase for I don't know how many years. I can't have nothing. Right? Groanings. Oh, not again. Oh, I can't believe that happened. My whole life was one big groan. Here I am a Christian. Can I get a witness? Anybody else? And that's what Jesus began to talk about. And, and I want this to flow. I want you to see how beautiful it is. Jesus began to talk about this in John 16. Turn to John 16 really quick. He was talking to his disciples. And he was talking about how I'm going to help you through this groaning. Now, understand, for somebody to be a believer, that makes you a disciple, a follower of Christ, if you're a true believer. And here's what God does. He doesn't say, you say, if I were to present to you tonight, hey, Mike, listen, do you believe that you're going to go to heaven? Are you looking forward to that time that you're going to be in the presence of God with no death, right? no sorrow, no crying, and no pain? It, it looks great, right? Yeah, but I can't help you at all with what you're going through right now. Okay, so you've got something to look forward to, but it doesn't hardly take the edge off of what's happening now. That's the reality. That's the problem we have with being able to present Christianity to somebody is that we always frame it in a box of what we're going to see. We jump right to Revelation and tell somebody, if you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be in heaven. And that's fine for some people. And they want to secure that part. But what they're going through now is the issue. So then what happens is somebody comes up with a way that says we can fill plenty of people, we can fill plenty of churches with people if we would just tell them, hey, we want to fix the emotional part of what you're going through now. So you come in here and listen, you don't have to change anything. What we're going to do is we're going to give you, we're going to give you uh, affirming messages that tell you that you're okay and that you're going to get through this. And we'll have this message one day on, on being a good self and we'll have a, a, a message the next day on, on the power of of being able to, to, to think positively and to do away and put your mind away from this and that. And so there are churches that are, that are giving out messages every week and they're focusing on the people that want to be fixed now, right? Well, this is a big subject. John 16, 33. Jesus addresses this subject. He's talking about the way 
that he gives us to overcome groanings. You see, he's just spent a whole chapter, I'm going to bring you up to speed, speaking about the Holy Spirit. He said that when I leave, talking to the disciples, I'm going to give you the comforter. He's going to guide you, the spirit inside of you. He's going to represent me to you. He's going to speak about me to you. In other words, he is the presence of me, the presence of God that will live inside of you. This is Jesus speaking. And he said, I'm going to be gone, but this presence will live inside of you. Why is this so important? Verse 33. He said, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In this world, you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, this is a a great transition verse, and I want you to see it. It's big. He said, listen, I'm giving you, through your salvation, a promise of eternity with no groaning. Is that good? If it's good, say amen. Amen. We like that, right? But what he's also saying is that in me, you shall have peace through your groanings in this world because my presence is going to live in you. That's big, right? In this world, you will have tribulation. Can I translate that? In this world, you will groan because of tribulations. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, next question we have. How does Jesus overcoming the world help us overcome the world? Why does he say, be of good cheer? I've overcome the world. How does Jesus overcoming the world help us overcome the groanings of this life? Well, it's just these two words that you find in verse 33. Because he says, In me, you might have peace. Meaning, when we put ourselves in Jesus and he overcame it, then we also can overcome the groanings of this world. Later on, we're going to have quite a little section on this phrase, in me. I'm not going to wear it out right now, but in Jesus is very, very important. In me, you might have peace. I've overcome the world. Well, that's good for you, Jesus. But in me, you might have peace. You're going to have groanings. But you can have peace in your groanings. Until you get to the place to where there are no groanings. That's the best deal in town. Isn't it? Why would God make it for me? Because he loves me. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to see how John 16 ties into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because in John 16, Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of us. This is what allows us to have peace while we live in this world. If you come in here and you hear a message today, but you don't have the Holy Spirit, then all you've got is just what you've heard and your own just good willpower to overcome things. 
But when you get saved in the Holy Spirit of God, the presence of God comes into you. The presence of God is able to speak to us inside, helping us overcome. I look out here and I see many of you that have had those groanings. We've had those conversations. And listen, even in those conversations, we've affirmed each other with just being able to hear what the Spirit's told us. Amen? Why? Because the Spirit speaks things that, that we don't even think of. So when we accept God's salvation through Jesus, or what we call getting saved, we're still going to be living in this world that's full of groaning. And we're still going to be living in a body that will groan and experience tribulations and troubles. We're going to experience things in this world that are going to cause us to groan. But when we get saved, then God gives us his presence living inside of us, which is the Holy Spirit. This is the presence of God that believers are able to have while we live in the world until we actually get to the presence of God that we read about in Revelation chapter 21 and with Jesus in a place with no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying and no more pain. In other words, and I love this, we're given the Holy Spirit of God when we get saved to help us live our lives in a body, in a world that, he's, that has groanings until we leave this body in life and begin to live in our life and body in a world with no groaning. Man, God's got it covered. He will fulfill this in us. It's just us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. Now he that hath wrought for us the selfsame thing. Now let me tell you what this means. He's saying, it is God that made us for this very purpose. Now listen to the end of this verse. It's God that made us for this very purpose, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. And I love, the, the King James used the word earnest, and I like this word. Why? Because when you use this word earnest, The earnest of the Spirit. While we live this life, we're given the earnest of the Spirit, meaning we're given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. A guarantee of what? Well, it's the presence of God, so it's a guarantee of the presence of God to come. So I want you to have this in your mind. We're given a guarantee of Revelation chapter 21, 1 through 7, when he gives us the Holy Spirit when we get saved. What is that? The presence of God that we're going to actually be in when God is with us and we're with God and there shall be no more death, be no more sorrow, be no more crying, be no more pain. Hey, we're given a guarantee knowing that if he gave us the guarantee in the Spirit, then that means that during our groaning here, absolutely the presence of God will help us with death, sorrow, crying, and pain while we live here. That's big. Another way to look at this phrase, earnest of the Spirit. And you know that, you know, we use this phrase when somebody buys a house. You say, well, you're going to put this much earnest money up. Anybody ever heard that phrase, you're going to put this much earnest money? It's a deposit, right? It's a deposit. It's a guarantee, a deposit. Hey, here's some, there's more to come, right? This is showing. Here's some, there's more to come. Say it with me. Here's some, there's more to come. The sum is to help us with the groanings of this life. 
The more to come is when no groanings will exist whatsoever anywhere around us in his presence. No groanings can exist in the presence of God. So we're given a presence living inside of us and we're a sinful person living in a sinful world that are surrounded by groanings. Overcoming the groanings of life, you have to have the Holy Spirit working in you. I kept thinking back to this picture I saw in Revelation chapter 21, thinking that I've so many times that the Holy Spirit's trying to help me overcome the groanings of life, but I'm kicking against it. You ever been there? Oh, just let me groan. And then somebody comes in that's speaking on behalf of the Holy Spirit, tells you something that God wants you to hear. You don't want to hear that right now. You want to groan. Somebody asked me weeks ago, it must feel good knowing that sometimes you go in and counsel somebody and you're trying to speak on behalf of God and somebody listens. I said, you know, yeah, it does. But I would say there's more times when you go and you speak on the half, behalf of God and somebody doesn't listen. You've spoken to somebody on behalf of God. The Holy Spirit has spoke through you to somebody before, right? Somebody you love, you ever spoke to that child? You ever spoke to that friend? Ever spoke to that family member? Holy Spirit was speaking through you, but they didn't listen. They didn't think that was the way to get over that groaning, right? I think of the times I didn't listen, I refused it. I was that person. I bucked who was coming and speaking on behalf of God to me. And then now, I, you know, I get to see the other way and still have to watch myself. You know, I, I think sometimes, you know, God's given us this recipe to walk with him and live this life in peace. And this word grumbling or groaning, it's almost like we're choosing to groan sometimes. You know, I think this is a good time to mention that even though this body is a tent, it's temporary. This world is temporary. Our other part of us, which is our soul, which I mentioned here at the onset of the message, our inner self is not temporary. Every human being has a soul. It's the part of you that you can't see, but it's really who you are. I talked about this with somebody the other day. You know, you can't draw a picture of your soul. You don't know what it looks like. We talk about accepting Jesus in our heart. Well, it's not in our physical beating heart. It would be in our soul. When he says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, all thy soul, all those are your soul, or you could call them your spirit part you can't see. That's really who you are. If I look at you, and I mean, I can look out there and identify Pete. I know, what, I know what your body looks like. I know what your face looks like. But that's, that's the tent. Who Pete really is is his soul. 
My body, Pete's body, your body, all of our bodies will pass away. The soul does it. It's interesting. You know, we don't think about it this way, but when God made man, he took man. Genesis 2, verse 7. He took man. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the earth. And he breathed into his nostrils. And man became a living soul. And at that point, man was two parts. Part dust, part breath of God. Now something interesting, and you might not have read this before. I'm not doing it. If you go to Genesis 2, verse 19, you'll read something pretty neat. The Bible also says that out of the ground, the Lord God formed every fowl of the air and beast of the field. So God also made the birds and the animals out of dirt. I don't know if you knew that. The only thing different is God didn't breathe into the, dirt, into the animals and the birds. So what does that mean? Animals and birds don't have a soul. We do. We want them to because we get close to them. And I know I'm breaking hearts now, but, but I want you to understand God's breath never goes away. The dust goes back to dust, but his breath will never go away. It's the soul of man. So when man dies and his body goes to dust, the soul is left. If man has committed his soul to God, then as we learn in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. But if man has lived his life and never had saving faith to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior, then the breath of God still lives after he dies, but that breath of God refused the very breath that made him. So the curse for that is eternal separation from God. So the soul of that person lives forever too. It just lives forever separated from God in a place we call hell. And you know what hell is? It's a place of eternal groaning. So God has given us an opportunity to accept his love and spend eternity in a place where there is no death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain. And until we get there, he's given us a deposit, a guarantee of his presence living in us to help us get through the groaning that we have here. Be of good cheer, he said. I've overcome the world. How do you overcome groaning? You overcome groaning with the presence of God that, you, that lives in you now and understand that this life is temporary. Amen. Father God, I love you. I praise you. I thank you, Lord, for who you are. I pray, God, that you would continue to just speak during this invitation. I pray, God, that you would minister to us right now, Lord. So many times we're guilty of groaning when, Lord, you've given us the ability, Lord, to be spoken to by you. I pray, God, that you would let us look to Revelation 21 and see in the future what you've given to us and rejoice more about it. I pray, God, you hear praises from your people that lift up those praises right now during this invitation, this time to pray. But, God, also, 
Lord, so many times we don't use your spirit. You told us to be of good cheer. You said if, if we put ourselves in you that, Lord, you said that those that are in you would have peace. But God, we're not living out that peace. We're letting our, our tribulations in this temporary world overcome us. And all we seem to be doing is groaning. And today we see that. Your scripture has pointed it out to us. And I just pray, God, that, Lord, you accept our solemn prayer. Lord, as people are praying all over this sanctuary during invitation, it's when you show us something and we realize it and we make it right, Lord. I just pray that hearts are made right with you tonight. And we just appreciate, God, you loving us enough to help us, Lord, navigate through all of our groaning to know that there'll be a day when there'll be no more. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>